All right, we're going to talk about that today. What do you do when the church has a lot of disagreement and you're walking through the white waters or navigating those rapids? But before we do, a couple of things here. First of all, I want to honor a person who's really special in my life, and that's my mother-in-law, Jamie, who turned 80 years old this week. Jamie Noren. Jamie, would you stand and we honor you? Jamie has led over a hundred making peace retreats here at Grace. She's counseled hundreds and hundreds of people at the age of 80, still vibrant, working full time. I don't know when she's going to slow down, probably at age 100. And I can just tell you that all the jokes about mothers-in-law, you know, and they're, I have got a great mother-in-law. And I just want to say I love you and I'm so grateful for you. And so uh, we gathered yesterday. You'll see a picture of a few of our kids here in the next one, I think. And, uh, and they were together in a walk. That's Jamie and Mary in the middle, and then our daughter Lauren, the oldest, on the right. Number four, Anna, on the left. And uh, just taking, we love to walk as a family. So uh, anyhow, so grateful for Jamie and her impact. You're our first affiliated counselor, Grace. Now we have seven. Uh, so grateful for her on her birthday, yeah. We would also love to celebrate your spiritual birthday, and next Sunday at Beulah Beach, we're having a baptism service. That's what it looks like right there. That's we, we have a brief time of worship, and then we baptize people in the lake, and, and it's just a wonderful experience. We already have a lot of people sign up. I had three people yesterday said, I'm getting baptized next Sunday at, at uh, Grace, and so here's the guy last year, one of my buddies getting baptized, and so uh, we're looking forward to that. And guys at Lorraine Correctional, uh, two weeks from tomorrow, August 28th, I believe is your date. I'm planning on being there for the baptism service, and I can't wait to celebrate with you as well. And so welcome, glad to have you uh, joining us. And what a great God we have that he gives us. Uh, Jamie was saying yesterday, she said, wow, when I was in my 20s, I had no idea that I'd be where I am in my 80s. And the joy in my life, and without God, I wouldn't be here. And I think a lot of us could, would say that is uh, Jesus, thank you for giving us a second and third chance. Well, let's dig into our topic for today, 1 Corinthians chapter 8. Paul's addressing a number of hot-button topics in the church, and a few of them he says, you know, he says, I've heard this about you. There's been division in the church. You're like following different, you've got your own like baseball cards. I follow Paul, I follow Peter, I follow, you know, Paulus. And, and And he responds to that. But then he also responds to some of the questions they ask. And he uses this phrase that he just says over and over. He goes, now about this. And so I'll give you just several examples you'll see on the screen here. He says, now about those not yet married. We talked about that last week, about singleness. When is divorce okay? If you want to go back and watch that, you can. He says in chapter 8, the one we're looking at today, he says, now about food sacrifice to idols. What about that? Chapter 12, he says, now about the gifts of the Holy Spirit. What about speaking in tongues, and what about the other gifts, and, and those were dividing the church back then, and sometimes they divide churches today. Chapter 16, he says, now about the collection for the Lord's people. Paul does that, now about this, about six times in this letter. So we're in chapter 8, if you want to turn there, if you're not there yet. We've said that Corinth was this thriving cosmopolitan port city, And it's really key to remember this, that Christians in Corinth had only been followers of Jesus for at the most three years. And so as we listen in today, we want 
to be able to say, Lord, as you gave them direction through the Apostle Paul, would you direct us? And even though the specific topic that Paul's going to talk to them about might seem a little bit like, whoa, that's like, I don't think I face that today in our culture, he's going to give some input that is so helpful for us. We were reading this morning, if you're in a Bible reading guide, Romans chapter 12, and, and Paul talks to her, he says, Therefore, my brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, like what we've just remembered in communion, he says, offer your bodies as living sacrifices. And he talks about, and let there be a transforming by the renewing of your minds. Our minds are transformed by God's word, by the Holy Spirit living within us, so that you and I can live lives that really honor Christ. And that's what Paul wants for them and for us. So here was the big issue in Corinth that was dividing when he says, now about meat offered to idols. What was that all about? Back in that day, in their pagan culture, uh, you know, you'd have these sacrifices to the idols, the, the, their gods, and they would offer a chicken, a cow, a goat, a lamb, whatever, and they would maybe have, you know, this religious kind of meal, but they wouldn't be able to eat all the meat, Right? You're not going to eat like an entire cow. And so they took the extra meat and they took it to the market to what? Sell to the community, right? So you're a Christian and you're a, just a small minority and you're like, hey, we'd really like to get some ground beef. And so you go to the market and you're like, oh man, I wonder if this was meat that was sacrificed to an idol. You see the problem they were having here? And it'd be like today, if you lived in like an Asian country where maybe Hinduism is predominant and, and you're, you, know, you're, you have something like this and you go, wow, like what would I do if I thought this food maybe before I bought it in the market was offered to some kind of like Hindu god or, you know, Buddhist, you know, statue or maybe you're in West Africa and there's, you know, traditional religion, and you go, I, I don't know, you know, what I'm going to do. So here's what happened in that day. You had some Christians who said, I will never eat meat like that. I mean, how, how could I if it's offered to a pagan god? That would be like participating in pagan worship, right? And all their friends go, right, you know, that's right. And they had other Christians who said, oh, that's no big deal. I mean, eat the T-bone steak, man. I mean, those gods are fake anyhow, right? They're not just pieces of wood and metal. Like, you're not, you're not actually in the temple, like, eating it. You're just buying it from the market, and it's ultimately from God. Enjoy. And probably had these potluck dinners at their church, you know, that descended in, like, you know, starting to throw, like, tomatoes at each other. Did you see what that brother just did right there? He ate some, he brought that meat and put it on the table. That thing was offered to... And other people were going, like, you are so, like, rigid. I can't believe you're not eating that meat. What would you do? Would you eat the meat? Or would you not eat the meat? You go, well, I don't have to make that decision. I just go to Giant Eagle or Heinen's or wherever, Aldi's, you know, and, and I, don't, I don't think it's been offered to some kind of, you know, um, you know, maybe John Eagles in Pittsburgh offered to the Steelers, you know, something like that. I'm not sure. <laughs> so, what, <laughs> so what do you do? So Paul writes to them, 
And even if we don't face this, he's gonna give us a principle. I want you to, I want you to stick with me here because he's gonna give us a principle that, that is applicable in other situations. So here's what Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 8, chapter one. He says, now about, I'm reading from the New International Version, now about food sacrificed idols, we know that we all possess knowledge, but knowledge puffs up while love builds up. That is a signature phrase from Paul. Knowledge puffs up while love builds up. Can we say that together? Knowledge puffs up while love builds up. That's gonna be what Paul, that's his like, he wants us to see through that filter. He says those who think they know something, like they've got all this knowledge and everything, do not yet know as they ought to know. But whoever loves God is known by God. So then about eating food sacrificed to idols, we know that an idol is nothing at all in the world and that there is no God but one. For even if there are so-called gods, whether in heaven or on earth, as indeed there are many gods and many lords, so-called, yet for us there is but one God, the Father from whom all things came and for whom we live, and there is but one Lord, Jesus Christ, through whom all things came and through whom we live. But not everyone possesses this knowledge. Some people are still so accustomed to idols that when they eat sacrificial food, they think of it as having been sacrificed to a God. And since their conscience is weak, it's defiled. It means like they think they've really sinned. Verse 8, but food does not bring us near to God. We are no worse if we do not eat and no better if we do. Let's just pause right there. Paul's talking about two groups, and he talks about those with a weak conscience and those with a strong conscience. He's not saying these people are like amazing and these people are just, you know, very tiny-brained or something like that. He's saying some have a strong conscience where they're like, I feel really free. Like, I can eat that meat. I have a lot of freedom. I, the, the guardrails are very wide for them. And then you have other people who go, they're just walking around anxious, and they're going, oh, my goodness, if I did that, like, that might be a sin, and this might be a sin, and their conscience is weak. Like, they, have a, they, they draw the lines a lot more narrow. Now, Paul has this strong conscience. We're going to see Paul goes, I would eat the meat as long as it's not being eaten in the temple, which I'm like acting like I'm actually participating in this, you know, religious ceremony. But if he goes, if I'm eating my cheeseburger at Wendy's, like it has been offered to an idol somewhere in the past, and I don't know, I'm good. But he's not done there. He wants to offer some advice to believers here, to them and to us, and to say, so how do you make some of those difficult decisions? Here's Paul's guidance. If you're following along in your notes, you'll see these sort of four summary points. And Paul is talking about this topic in sort of chapter 8, 9, and 10. So we're going to look at these sort of together, and we'll come back to it. But here's number one. For starts, Paul would affirm that all Christians have freedom in Christ. In other words, when there is not a specific command against an action or behavior in the Bible, you could say, I'm free to participate as long as I honor Christ. Here's what Paul says in chapter 9, verse 1. He goes, am I not as free as anyone else? And let's turn to chapter 10 for a moment. If you look over at chapter 10, verse 25, Paul picks up the same subject about food, and he says this in verse 25. He says, eat anything sold in the market without raising questions of conscience, for the earth is the Lord's and everything in it. How much does he say? How much meat can he eat? He goes, eat it all. 
Like, uh, feel free to eat. All the food you eat is ultimately from God the Father, and it's, it's not like, you know, belonging to an idol, and he's going, that's, you know, so he says, if it's in the meat market, he says, you can enjoy. So you have freedom where the Bible is unclear. But here's the question. How free are you? Are you free within the parameters of Scripture, the guardrails, in the way of Jesus to do whatever you want to do? To go wherever you want to go, to say whatever you want to say, to eat whatever you want to eat? Are there any limits to your freedom? Paul would say, yeah, there are. Listen again to what he says in chapter 10 here, verse 23. I have the right to do anything, you say, but not everything is beneficial. I have the right to do anything, but not everything is constructive. Here's the key line. No one should seek their own good, but what? Are there limits to your freedom? Yes. Paul would say this, number two, you are free, but secondly, love limits your liberty. So even if we feel free to do something, Paul says it's not just about you. It's not just, we live in this individualistic American culture where we go, hey, I'm responsible for me, myself, and I, and if you have a problem with what I do, that's on you. And Paul would go, that's not the way of Jesus. There's a collectivism where I care about how something impacts the people around me. Listen to how Paul says it back in chapter 8, verse 9. Here's what he writes. He says, be careful then that the exercise of your rights does not become a stumbling block to the weak. For if someone with a weak conscience sees you with all your knowledge, you know, you think it's okay to eat in the, you know, the Eating in an idol's temple, won't that person be emboldened to eat what is sacrificed to idols? So this weak brother or sister for whom Christ died is destroyed by your knowledge. Verse 13, therefore, if what I eat causes my brother or sister to fall into sin, I will never eat meat again so that I will not cause them to fall. Is Paul saying you all have to become vegetarians? No. What he is saying is, I want to be really careful not to lead a brother or sister who's vulnerable into something that they consider to be sin. So even if my conscience doesn't bother me, I go, I need to think about how does this impact the people around me. Let me, let me give a modern-day illustration, because I don't think most of you going out for lunch today are going to be going, should I eat that meat or shouldn't I? But let me give you one that's maybe a little more... Uh, Suppose you have some people over for dinner, and you know that they're in recovery from, you know, they've, they've had addiction to alcohol. And it's been, you know, it's been really a tough part of their journey. So you invite them over, meals out, you bring the bottle of wine out, you're like, this is a celebration, we have a birthday, and you start pouring them a glass of wine, saying, enjoy. You know what Paul's saying? What are you thinking? What are you, what are you thinking? How, how can you not consider the spiritual health of the people that you say you love? There's limits to your liberty. Love limits your liberty. 
He might say, well, should I never drink alcohol? You just pay attention to who you're with. And if you think it's okay to drink in moderation, you know, you, but, you, but you, don't, you don't do something that's gonna cause someone to, to violate their conscience, or maybe they really, you know that they're from a, a background where just to have any alcohol, you know, Romans 14 says, whatever is not done in faith is sin. In other words, what might be okay for you because you have faith to say, I, my conscience is clean on this one. Someone else going, oh, if I were to do that, I, would, I know I would offend God. Don't lead them to, to do something that they think is wrong. Does that make sense? Let's talk about social media for a second. You might say, hey, it's my Facebook my Instagram, I can post whatever I like. I'm free. How free are you? Do you have freedom to post up that's sarcastic and snarky and angry and you go, oh, that alone, that alone them. And you go, hey, I don't care what people think. Let them be offended. You know what Paul would say? Is that what love does? I mean, if you're offending people because of the gospel of Jesus Christ, that's one thing. But to needlessly offend people and to just have a tone or whatever that is, that just people go, wow, if that's what Jesus is like, then I, I'm not really interested. Is that, is that what I want? Is that what I want to do for people who are just either brand new and taking baby steps in their relationship with them or they're sort of, curious, and, and then they watch what we, and they go, wow, Paul would say, think about others. How will this impact the way that they see Jesus? Will what you do or say help others to be attracted to him or turned away? It's less a question about what's permissible than about what demonstrates love. Knowledge puffs up, but love what? Builds up. So it's not enough to go, hey, I know, I'm free. I can do whatever I want. Paul would say, no, that's, that, that puffs you up. Love thinks of the other person and builds them up. So if you want to love others like Jesus does, you'll voluntarily sacrifice your freedom at times out of consideration for other people and to say their spiritual health is more important than my freedom. Does that make sense? That impacts some of the places I go, what I eat, what I drink, etc. Now, while we're talking about this um, in the weak conscience, strong conscience, I want to talk about a misunderstanding of this, of this passage. That some people go, they think it's more like anything that I think is wrong, you can't do because you're offending me. I had a guy several years ago, wrote me a note, and I had not worn a tie that Sunday. And some of you know I usually don't wear a tie, but you know, and I don't think it really, Jesus really cares a whole lot about how I dress as long as it's modest, right? But this guy writes me and he goes, I have one comment on the service. Highly offended, you came into the presence of God without a tie. <laughs> I'm not sure if he was wearing a tie or not, but a lot of you are offending God today. I'm just looking around, all the guys here are going, wow. A tie means nothing to the Lord, right? It just doesn't. Some of you are offended that I am wearing a tie, right? I'm going to get a no going, I can't believe you wore a tie. You know, you, it's, that guy being offended by my not wearing a tie 
Am I therefore bound to do what he thinks is right for all of us? I wasn't leading him into sin. He just didn't like what I was doing, right? Let me, do, let me give another one, a little more serious. Someone a few years ago said, you know, I'm concerned, you know, I'm looking around, I'm seeing these people getting involved in like interracial marriages. And I, you know, concerned about that. It sort of offends my conscience. Because doesn't the Old Testament talk about, like, it tells the people of Israel, you know, you shouldn't be. That's a complete misreading of the Bible. Complete misreading of the Bible. The Old Testament doesn't talk about marrying outside of your ethnicity. It talks about the emphasis is marrying outside of your what? Your faith. And that's in the New Testament as well. When Moses marries someone outside of his ethnicity and his brother and sister, Aaron and Miriam, are upset with him, you know what God does? He punishes them. God celebrates diversity. Interracial marriage, fantastic. As long as what? You both have a relationship with Jesus. So if someone's offended by that, do we say, well, I guess, you know, we need to, we'd be offending them. That would be making them stop. No, 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 that, that, that just doesn't matter. They need to be enlightened, right? They're not going to be led into sin by that kind of, they're, they're just saying this is, they have a misunderstanding of Scripture. So Paul's not saying whoever has the narrowest interpretation, even if it's wrong of the Bible, we all have to abide by that. He's saying when there's someone who's sort of taking their first steps or they're following Christ and, and they're sort of vulnerable to temptation, don't you be the one to put them in a place of temptation to all of a sudden they go, you know what, I'm walking away from God. Does that, does that make sense? It's a difference there. Now, I, I just want to say on that topic, I am offended if you wear a tie and it's yellow and black. I'm, or, you know, I just, I'm, especially as the football season's winding up and... One more thing here I want to mention here, and this is Paul ups the ante. Listen to the, what he says is our underlying motivation to care about the people around us. In verse 12, he says this, when you sin against them, chapter 8, verse 12, when you sin against them in this way and wound their weak conscience, you sin against whom? Against Christ. Wow. Oh, that's huge, isn't it? Sin against Christians is sinning against Christ. That, that, that's what it says. When you, I don't know if we really grasped, but I was just pondering that this week, and I thought, what if I was really conscious of the fact that every time I wound another Christian or cause them to stumble or I, I really, that I'm, I'm not just hurting them, I'm wounding the heart of Jesus himself. That means something like this. Let me just put that in real tangible terms, that you're, you're out for a meal with someone and, and you're, you know, someone comes up Guys of Lorraine, you're, you know, you're, in the, you're eating your meal and you're talking and you're talking about another guy who's you know, on the cell block or whatever and you just, start, you just start slicing and dicing that person while they're not there. When I gossip like that, I'm not just hurting that person, I'm sinning against whom? Against the one who made them. Christ himself. You're married. 
and, and there's frustration in your relationship and, and you're just like, you're up to here and then something happens and you let loose with some kind of snarky or just an arrow to the heart of your spouse. If I do that, I'm not just wounding Mary. I'm wounding the heart of Christ, right? That's what he says. Or if you cheat a person out of money you owe them or you don't keep your, you know, the terms of your agreement, especially with a Christian, but really with anybody, it's, it's not just your integrity or you're hurting the other person. He says you're, you're cheating against Christ. Every time I sin against another Christian who has Jesus living in them, I'm actually sinning against Jesus himself. It's powerful, isn't it? Even Jesus himself said, whatever you do to the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you've done to what? You've done to me. They're like, when did we see you hungry and thirsty and all naked and in prison and all the rest? And he says, whatever you did or didn't do to your brothers and sisters is what you did or didn't do to me. That's how connected we are and our sense of we belong to Christ and we belong to each other. So if I really love Jesus, I'm going to love the people for whom he died, and that's going to put guardrails on my freedom. By the way, in this whole thing about, you know, about Christ and his, these are people for whom Christ died, Paul makes in this chapter, I don't want to miss this, one of the biggest statements in all of the Scripture about who Jesus is his divinity. Maybe second only to the passage in John chapter 1, verse 1, where it says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, the Word became flesh, and it's just this clear identification that Jesus is God. Listen to what Paul says here in chapter 8, verse 6. He says, there is but one God, the Father, from whom all things came, and for whom we live, and there is but one Lord, Jesus Christ, through whom all things came, and through whom we live. The reason this is extraordinary, so many scholars have shown, is that Paul is a adapted the Shema, which is that central Jewish statement of faith in one God, and he inserts Jesus right into the middle of that. The Shema is what's found in, in Deuteronomy chapter 6, where every Jewish person repeats this, where they say, Hear, O Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord is one. In the Jewish faith, there is no stronger statement about the uniqueness and exclusivity of their God. So here's Paul, this Jewish man, teacher, taking that well-known Shema, and what does he do? He applies it to Jesus. He says, we have one God and one Lord, and his name is what? Is Jesus. It's hard to imagine a more dramatic statement about the supremacy and the deity of Jesus. If you, if you wrestle sometimes with, does the Bible really say that Jesus is uniquely like God? Key passage here. Back to Paul's key point here in verse, 1 Corinthians 8. If you hurt another Christian by causing them to fall back into old patterns of behavior and therefore drift away from Jesus, you're not just hurting that person, you're also wounding Christ who is Lord over all, God, God himself. One more piece of guidance from the Apostle Paul, number four in your notes. Your primary concern is this, how are you influencing other people? C.S. Lewis once said, he said, Every interaction we have as believers in Jesus, we're either encouraging people toward Jesus or we're pushing them away from Jesus. The question is, which one is it going to be? Back at the end of verse chapter 10, 
um, turn over back there. And Paul gives this overarching principle to God our actions. And here's what he says in verse 31. He says, so whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. Don't give offense to Jews or Gentiles or the church of God. I, too, try to please everyone in everything I do. Like as long as it's within the boundaries of Scripture, he goes, I, I want to think about others. I don't just do it as best for me. I do it as best for others so that many may be saved. That's what Paul was thinking about. He's like, how will my behavior affect the spiritual health of the people around me? He's saying, I, I, that's, what, that's what motivates me. So Paul was okay if the gospel of Jesus' grace offended people. I mean, he almost gave his life for that, ultimately did, but he never wanted to cause unnecessary offense. And so he says, when I'm with Jewish people, I abide by Jewish customs. When I'm with non-Jewish people, Gentiles, I abide by their customs. He says, I do whatever I can. We're going to see uh, in the next chapter uh, that he says, I, I just want people to follow Jesus. That, that's my heart. So when you're not sure which way to go, we can always ask this, will my participation in this activity help or hinder people around me from, from knowing Jesus? Is there a behavior of mine that is blocking someone's view of Jesus or slowing their growth? Am I willing to sacrifice that to help build others up? Because knowledge puffs up, but love what? Love builds up, love builds up. Friends, can I tell you, I'm grateful to be part of a church family that we don't get stuck on minor things. We're like, we're all about the mission of Jesus. So. We might have a lot of differences and things that we maybe say are lesser matters, but we're a church that ultimately we say we're united around this, that we want to reach out to our neighbors and friends with the good news of Jesus. We want to show compassion to people in need. We want to access the power of God through prayer. We want to give of our resources to make a difference. And we want to ask Jesus to help us be imitators of him. Like we, we say, Jesus, it's all about our relationship with you and helping other people to have the same. We continue at Grace as a result to see hundreds of people every year come into a relationship with Jesus. The last 10 years, we've had over 1,500 people get baptized. Um, and yeah, it's... And so I would, I, I just urge us in this way, let's keep putting the concerns of Jesus over our own. Let's exalt him and let's help other people to find the way, even if it means I say no to some of my behaviors. I say no to some places I go. I curb my freedom in order to help other people know him. Is that your heart? I'm so grateful. Grateful for you. Let's pray and ask him to make it more the case. Jesus, thank you. Thank you for the freedom that you give. Thank you that if whoever you set free is free indeed. We're free from our past, free from the guilt of our sin, free from destructive behaviors, free to live today with joy. But Lord, thank you also that you give us wisdom and we pray you'd guide us by your spirit to know where to curb that freedom, to be willing to say no to ourselves, even if we're fine with what we're, we think we're gonna do, to say Lord, help me to be cognizant of the people around me. Help them to seek you more and to love you with all their hearts because of their relationship with me. And Lord, wherever maybe I've been sinning against you without even thinking about that by 
behaviors that are hurting other people. And it says, when I do that, I'm sinning against you. Lord, I, help me to repent. To cease those behaviors th through the power that you give us and to honor you and to honor the people who bear your image, Jesus. Let us live in a way that brings great joy and glory to you. In your name we pray, amen.